بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول كريم صلى الله عليه وسلم Welcome brothers and sisters uh, to our reopening uh, Ibrahim Islamic Center we one thing that we didn't want the reopening to be was simply another pep rally um, we simply wanted to get right to work uh, about the type of work that we do bringing hearts together uh, we understand that we are all uh, broken people I mean like colossally broken and um, you know one of the things that we like to do uh, and we believe that it is actually rooted in our tradition is to bring healing to people to do this work to live our lives via love and service in everything that we do to move ourselves away from the destruction of the ego everything that this unbridled ambition for power money status respect um, that we think brings us um, we simply try to connect the human being back to our hearts and um, do the work that we do uh, through love and service and we ask um, for your dua for our success and we're certainly grateful that our teachers um, have uh, gratefully obliged to share with us their expertise their knowledge their experience in this area um, and so what to this evening's talk um, is uh, what seeking spiritual openings you know we have this dua from our beloved prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and allahumma iftah alayna you know oh allah uh, give us give us openings and without the uh, without the spiritual openings um, our tradition would be left lifeless unfortunately uh, many times uh, we or uh, w I think most of us have undergone trauma especially under the auspices of religion where any type of spirituality that we try to infuse into our practice is, 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 is often unfortunately looked at as bid'ah or something that throws someone out of the fold of Islam uh, inshallah we're going to change this in Houston inshallah and so the the, the topic of our um, talk our conversation is seeking spiritual openings a conversation on spiritual bypassing therapy and creating a healthy a healthy spiritual practice so um, I'd like to just get right to right to work uh, because I, I feel this, 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 this hour that, so the plan is to, inshallah, we'll pray Maghrib about 825, 830, and we'll still, we'll still be good, inshallah. And one hour will go very, very fast. So um, I'd like to start with uh, Dr. Khitam. Uh, she did her PhD in her dissertation in spiritual bypassing. And so um, you wrote your dissertation on spiritual bypassing. Uh, what exactly is spiritual bypassing? Where did the term come from? And can you give us some examples of how Muslims spiritually bypass? Assalamu alaikum. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to share my knowledge and something that I'm very passionate about. Um, before I just dive, give you, answer those questions of what it is, 
where did I learn about the term and give you some examples. Uh, the reason why I actually uh, decided to do my research on this was because it was actually a very personal, um, it, the, when I learned about the term, it really resonated with me personally. How many of you, when you're going through something difficult, your family tells you, you know, go make du'a. If you're depressed, go make du'a. If something bad's happening in your life, get closer to God. Great advice. But then when I saw the term spiritual bypassing and the definition, it was people who, who in times of crisis turn to their spiritual practices to feel better. So sounds good. But then what ends up happening is they're bypassing the psychological layer and not actually dealing with other issues um, that are actually causing this. So for example, you go through a divorce, you lose a job, someone dies, you know, great coping mechanism, get closer to God, but they're never dealing with the trauma that actually happened and actually looking at themselves. So that's the definition of spiritual bypassing. Does that make sense? Yes, ma'am. Yes. It was first coined by a guy named John Wellwood in um, California who actually treated a lot of uh, Buddhist monks and they would go off on these retreats for two, three months at a time you know, basically getting that strong connection and then would come back and would still have like anxiety and depression. And then he started to notice that their spiritual practices, even though if they were going off for three, four months and isolating themselves as individuals, they were still not normal functioning. They still had problems because they weren't dealing with the psychological stuff. All right. Um, so does that answer the question? Was, I think there was a third yes. one, or is that the third part? Yes, yeah, so, so the third person, can you uh, give us some examples? I think you, you, you spoke yeah. about some of the examples of uh, you know, how Muslims might engage in um, spiritual bypass. But wh where did the term come from? Yeah, so I was just telling that, that the term came from uh, the, the guy in California named John Walwood, and he basically was treating Buddhist monks, and those monks were basically going off on three, four month retreats, coming back, but still having anxiety, still having depression, and recognizing that you can't, no matter, how, no matter how much time you spend perfecting your spiritual practices, if you don't deal with underlying issues, when you come back into the real world, they're gonna, come, they're gonna bubble back up. So you've gotta, you, you know, and I just need to, put the, I need to put a caveat here that spiritual bypassing, and this was one of the key insights from my research, is not a bad thing. It's, it's not spirituality or you know, psychology. And that's what, you know, we need to get out of this either or mentality. The key insight was that we, once we go through something bad, we need a coping mechanism. So some people turn to drugs, some people turn to alcohol, some people, you know, turn to unhealthy coping, eating. So it's, alhamdulillah, if people are, something bad happens to them, they're turning to God, great. But eventually, it's not enough. Meaning, if you go through a divorce or a breakup or the death of a, a loved one, eventually, you know, after you've, you know, you need something to stabilize, you've turned to God, eventually, it's, let's say two, three months, even six months, you're going to have to look at the pain underneath that. So this, the spiritual practices will, will maybe um, create a balance and get you to, in a healthier place, but then eventually you still have to deal with the grieving. So it's great if you do turn to spirituality, but the key insight is that it's both and. It's not either or. Yeah. And a lot of times there is this mentality of either or and many things. And the key, you know, because some people are like, well, you know, religion, no, we're not here to say that it's a bad thing, but we're trying to say that you need both, both and. Well, thank you.
So the, uh, my next question is to Sheikh Faraz. Um, what, uh, what exactly is spirituality? And what, if anything, does our tradition say about spirituality? About spirituality or spiritual bypassing? Spirituality. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, wa sallillahumma ala sidra Muhammad, al-Nabiyu nabi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallim. Rabbina atina min ladunka rahma wa hiya lana min amrina rashada. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum wa And can I add something? Yes. And spirituality as well as spiritual bypassing, if anything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't trying to bypass the yes. question. <laughs> uh, first of all, it's an honor to be here. MashaAllah, may Allah send blessings and Barakah to this institution and this new space and make it a place of illumination for all of us through our company with one another. Um, I also want to uh, mention that I'm shy here. Sheikh Muhammad is here and so uh, had I known I wouldn't have, uh, I would have asked, deferred to Sheikh Muhammad for these questions. But uh, uh, inshallah we endeavor to be where Allah has placed us. Uh, what is spirituality? So traditionally, you know, this is called ilm al-tasawwuf in our tradition, the science of what's translated as Sufism. And it's been defined in innumerable ways. Uh, the best definition is from our Prophet وسلم, who spoke about Ihsan when the Archangel Gabriel, peace be upon him, asked him, Akhbirni an al-Ihsan. He responded, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and ta'budullaha ka'annaka tarahu fa'illam takun tarahu fa'innuhu yarak, that you worship Allah, God Almighty, as if you see him, and if you do not see him, then indeed he sees you. And uh, this enterprise was codified over the next couple centuries, and one of the most central figures of this discipline, the codification of this dimension of the religion, was Imam al-Junaid, rahimahullah, who died in 298 after Hijrah. And he's called Imam al-Ta'ifatayn, the head leading scholar of the inward and the outward. And when he was asked about this discipline, he said, an takuna ma'allahi bila ulaqa, that you be with God without any uh, other connections. In other words, the primary connection of the heart is to the divine. Mm -hmm. And then through that connection, we connect with creation, not outside of that. Uh, foundational connection. So our, our relationships with one another are rooted in our relationship with the divine. This is at the at, uh, Imam al-Junaid's response to when he was asked about the science. Uh, his Khalifa, the Sheikh who took his position in, in his teaching circle, Abu Muhammad al-Juraidi, when he was asked about the science, he said, al fi kulli khuluqin sani wal khuruj min kulli khuluqin dani. It's entering into every noble and sublime virtue and leaving every low and base vice. Mm. And so, akhlaq, character, reformation, perfecting, seeking uh, more and more perfection of one's character. And that this is related to the root, one of the possible roots of tasawwuf, which is safa, the purity and limpidity of the heart itself that another contemporary of Imam Juraidi, another student of Imam al-Junaid, Abu Bakr al-Kittani, mm -hmm. he said, a tasawwuf khuluq, Sufism is character. 
فَمَنْ زَادَ عَلَيْكَ فِي الْخُلُقِ زَادَ عَلَيْكَ فِي الصَّفَاءِ So whoever outdoes you in character has outdone you in purity and limpidity. And uh, another early master of this tradition, Dhunun al-Misri, rahimahullah, from Egypt, he was a Nubian master of this discipline. When he was asked about the people of this discipline, the Sufis, he said, هُمْ قَوْمٌ آثَرُوا اللَّهِ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ فَآثَرُهُمُ اللَّهِ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ these are a people that preferred God over everything else, and so God preferred them over everything else. And so there's been over 2,000 of these types of descriptions and definitions attempting to get at what exactly the science is. It has to do with perfecting one's character. It has to do with preferring God over everything else. It has to do with rooting all of our endeavors, grounding all of our endeavors and relationships in our recognition and devotion and ultimately love of the divine. But uh, Sidi Ahmed Zarruq, he said all of the hundreds and hundreds of definitions and descriptions of the science return to the principle of Sidq al-Tawajjuh ilallah, is authentic and sincere self-orientation to the divine. And so this is what uh, we understand of the term spirit, Islamic spirituality. Um, Anything in our tradition that you are aware of that speaks about spiritual bypassing? So, from what I understand of spiritual bypassing, it seems that it is a, an example of a broader issue, which is reconciling taking worldly means with our knowledge of divine omnipotence. In other words, how do we understand asbab? Mm -hmm. Asbab are the yeah. means in the world that we take. Yeah. As opposed to, or root, uh, 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 reconciling that with mm -hmm. our knowledge of God as the omnipotent and mm -hmm. the only one that creates any effect mm -hmm. of benefit or harm. Mm -hmm. And so the basic prophetic, one of the prophetic statements in in, a, in, a, in, a, in the most concise manner was when the Prophet instructed his companions tie the rope and rely on God. In other words, we do both. We take every means possible and this is something if you read the biographies and if you meet living masters of Islamic spirituality you see that they are keen on taking means. Mm -hmm. That when they pursue any endeavor, they, 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 they dot the I's and cross the T's more than anyone else. But none of that takes them away from their knowledge of the divine, from their devotion of the divine. They recognize Allah in those means. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, Sheikh Muhammad al-Hashimi, a uh, master of this discipline and a theologian of the last century from Damascus, or he lived in Damascus, he's from North Africa, rahimahullah, he said, man uh, he says that whoever does not take the means has rendered null in their life divine wisdom. In other words, all of the means, and in this context, the means of therapy, the means of dealing with one's uh, uh, any trauma that they've undergone, any difficulty that they've faced that has left them in emotional states of depression or anxiety, etc. To not take those means, the means in the world of betterment, of, of seeking healing for that, 
is, is to reject, in a way, divine wisdom, because all means in the world are a manifestation of the wisdom of God. But whoever relies on those means, the other extreme, in other words, believing that the means have some sort of intrinsic power, uh -huh. as opposed to being the sites of manifestation of Allah's power, mm -hmm. then they have effectively associated with God. Mm -hmm. Not actual shirk, but they have fallen into a disease of the heart. So uh, this is our simple understanding of the issue. Allahu a'ala wa alam. You know, I think for me personally, as an, as an imam, uh, I spend a, a, a quite a bit of my time uh, counseling and helping people to work through uh, their life challenges, be it childhood trauma, be it trauma from a bad divorce, or uh, from a job, trauma from, a, from spiritual spaces, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, sometimes the, uh, I would say the age group would be between 18 and maybe 28. It's something about maybe people that's, that's older than that, maybe they have a taboo against seeking therapy or mentorship, counseling or coaching. Um, and these, this, this group of 18 to 28, what they, uh, I think one of the things that they appreciate about me um, is, um, you know, we, and, and our space is that we, understand the importance of counseling and therapy, be it that we uh, attempt to do it ourselves or uh, refer it out. But a lot of times they've been under, uh, they, they've been with, you know, clergy people, you know, imams and shuyul, um, aunties of our, of our faith, and they feel as if they've just been spiritually bypassed to death. And this is a very, very, very valid uh, concern. You know, we have our absolute or inherent truths in our faith, uh, and they, but they're also looking at the relevant truths, right? What, you know, I, I, I hear what you're saying, uh, just be patient, just be patient, and make more dua, make, and this is how they're interpreting it, even if this may not be what the, uh, what the imam or the teacher from back home or, or here, really even mean but this for whatever reason this is how they're interpreting it maybe because uh, there is this discouragement from asking questions um, and so my next question is to you brother Ali uh, in, in Minnesota you and your wife uh, Tiffany you you started the Jamali project and your wife is also a, a therapist and, and, and counselor uh, how do you see with your with your with your project there uh, in Minnesota, I've, I've, I've had the, uh, the honor of actually uh, visiting um, the space there, a very, very beautiful space. Um, how do you see, uh, in terms of how you're blending uh, spirituality with this on-the-ground reality, but also counseling and therapy? Bismillah. Assalamu alaikum. Tamika and Malika on a Tarika. <laughs> If we were allowed to get tattoos, <laughs> you know what it means to somebody like me to, to hear Tamika and Tarika in the same sentence? That's why I love this place, you know. Um, yeah, so my wife is a therapist. Um, 
I'm an uh, albino, overweight, uh, foul-mouthed rapper um, who loves God and uh, loves this religion very much. And so the two of us are trying to, you know, help people uh, and hope that Allah helps us. And <laughs> knowing that, you know, hoping that Allah is actually the one that, knowing that Allah is the one that's actually helping them and all of us. Um, you know, the, I think in this conversation a lot of times, I, I think that what it really reveals is uh, the, the kind of like small, truncated understanding we have of spirituality. As though spirituality is something we talk about when we're feeling spiritual. As though spirituality is something that exists, that we study. Spirituality is something we sit on the floor and do. As though my pain and what I'm actually experiencing isn't also the revelation of God. You know, so Sheikh Al-Akbar says that, uh, you know, um, Ibn Arabi says that we read from the, the three revelations that we have the Quran which is the revelation of Allah but also what's happening in the creation the cosmos etc is the creation of Allah and that the person that's really present with God is also reading that but then we also have what's going on inside of us that is the revelation of Allah so this work of of, of you know whether it's sitting with a therapist or whether it's you know uh, sitting with a group of people that we trust and and or whether it's uh, alone you know contemplation and really experiencing and just witnessing what's unfolding in my heart and in my life in real time and knowing that Allah is writing that for me. The, the, the pain that I have, the anxiety that I have, the depression that I experience, the fears that I have, the joys that I have, the, the, the addictions that I find myself wrestling with, all of this is written by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This isn't, this isn't a, a, a different realm. This is actually what my spirituality is here to, to allow me to, to, to realize and to be with. This is real applied spirituality. You know, that these great ones that we talk about, you know, they said that this religion, uh, it doesn't live in the, on the pages of books, it lives in the hearts of the great masters. These people that, that, that we're talking about and that we long to be with. Because of the fact that they understand what's written in the book, but then also they see it as ever manifesting in their lives. We think about the Prophet Sallallahu uh, uh, having told the people, you know, this big show that we put on at funerals, you know what I'm saying, is a jahili, that's like a, 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 that's a, that's a universal pri uh, reality of people who have been separated from their wisdom traditions. So in our families, we had that too. In, in Jahili, uh, you know, pre-Islamic Arabia, the people made a big show and they competed with each other about who could mourn the best public, you know, public displays of mourning. And we have that in our families and in our communities too, where somebody will, you know, there's, there's a funeral and somebody is just, ah, and they fall. And then somebody else jumps in the coffin and then somebody else ups the ante. And the, so the Prophet Sallallahu said, you just stop all of that. And even told them, you know, don't, don't, don't visit the graveyards, you know, don't visit the graves and things like that. Uh, until the people were more mature. And then the Prophet after having lost all of his children except for one, you know, has the son Ibrahim. And, uh, you know, and, and, and he was, lived to be 18 months old. I have a daughter right now that's that exact age. And that's just a, such an amazing age for a child because they haven't hit the terrible twos yet. And the terrible twos just mean that the, that the nef starts to kick in. They start realizing like, oh, I'm a person that can say no. I'm a person that if I scream, everybody's gonna wanna get, they'll do whatever it takes to get me to stop screaming if we're in the, if we're in the supermarket or something. Oh, okay, 
watch this, ah, you know. So, but they haven't reached that yet, but they're starting to, to, to recognize people. They're starting to have connections. They're starting to say stuff. Their personality is starting to develop. It's just a supremely sweet period. And my daughter, Maimuna, is in that, is in that phase now. And, I, and this is the age, you know, when the Prophet Sallallahu he loses his son. And he's mourning. He's grieving. He's crying. You know what I'm saying? And, and the people, you know, because of the, how, how close they are with him, and the fact that they know they can ask this man anything. Nothing's off limits. They're, they're showing him, forgive me for saying this, but women are sending you know, their menstrual blood to the prophesied son to say, what about that? Am I praying? Am I fasting? What's going on here? And you know what I'm saying? The prophet isn't, this isn't, this isn't proper. You know what I'm saying? He's saying, no, okay, no, she should fast, but she da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? This is how thick develops. Because people know I can ask this man anything. The kid that goes to the prophesied son and said, I need permission to fornicate. <laughs> and the prophet said, come close to me and sit with me and let's talk about this. You know, that these people know they have a therapist in the messenger of God. And he's got a therapist in Khadijah, in his wife, that can calm him down when nobody else can. When he's wondering about himself and the people are talking about him, his own family and everybody is turning against him. That she can sit, she was a counselor for the messenger of God. Allah be well pleased with her, our mother Khadijah, and prayers and peace be upon the prophet. So they say, What's this that you're crying and you're showing this? And he said, Allah doesn't call us to account for what happens in the eyes, but what we, for, what, for what happens on our tongues. So what our, what our teachers have said about this is that what's happening in the eyes is the pouring forth of the emotion of the heart. That there is nothing wrong with experiencing pain. And actually, the reality is that if I'm yearning to know God by taste and not just by something I heard the sheikh say, but I want to know God and I'm not a sheikh. I'm the sheikh of my pain. And this is what really what, what, what therapy is doing. It's like sit with, your, with yourself and talk it through with somebody that can guide you through it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and so that I learn that in my pain is how I relate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just like with my joy. But so now where I start to, to say things like, you know, why me? And why, why is God doing this to me? You know, Toby from the office doesn't want to go into the church. I know I'm the only bad Muslim that watches TV. But Toby goes in the church. He, you know, Toby, Toby from the office goes in the church and he's always getting, you know, kicked in the, in the show. Everybody's always hating on Toby. So he goes in and he looks at the cross and he's like, why are you always doing this to me, man? You know what I mean? So this reality that, uh, that our pain is actually our relationship, is our relationship with God. So to be able to sit with it and to be able to unpack it and to be able to really witness what is Allah doing with me and for me, you know, in the in these real situations I find myself in in myself in. And, and that's why I love what you said about the, the reality that, th you know, this isn't a dichotomy, you know, that psychology is something uh, that we actually in a pre-modern reality, we'd be living lives with generations of our mothers and aunties and grandmothers and grandfathers and, you know, brothers and sisters. And so we wouldn't be so isolated and alone. So when something happened, it would be understood that we would be talking through the, the very real things we're experiencing. And, it, and it's actually part and parcel of our spiritual practice. Absolutely. And if I could sum up everything that has been said to this point, is one, it's okay to be depressed. It's okay to feel anxiety and grief. Even the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, 
he went through anxiety. He went through grief. In fact, we have, and if we, if we, if we read the seerah, we have what is called Amal Huzn, which means the year of sadness. This was the year where the Prophet wasallam, the President peace be upon him, he lost his, uh, his wife Khadija radiallahu ta'ala and may Allah be well pleased with her. The wife that was his, 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 his was actually a therapist for him. When uh, he was perturbed that Allah had forsaken him, he'd run back home to his wife. The, the first time when he saw the angel Dabril uh, he was nervous. Who did he run to? So we all need someone to lay things out, lay our burdens before. And you know, alhamdulillah, uh, our beloved prophet gave us an example that our wives, and this is another point because men, men typically don't like communicating our challenges and our, our, our life problems. And if we understand, our tradition is about sacred manhood. We like to, and it's, it's out of ego that we can never cry. We can never reach out to a brother and, 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 and get that brother and have a conversation with that brother or our spouse to help us through. And so what we're saying here is it's, it's okay to feel grief and depressed. In fact, it's, 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 it's harmful to bypass it. It's harmful not to feel it. It's harmful not to sit in it. Because if we just simply use spiritual practices to deal with it, what you suppress will come back up. It may not come back up a week later, a month later, it come back up five years later. When you get married, when you get that job, whatever may trigger you. This is simply what we're saying. Um, Dr. Khitam, what exactly, what would you say uh, is a healthy spiritual practice? Mm. <laughs> uh, great question. And if you want to camel back off of anything that I've yeah. said or anybody else said, feel free to. So there's 50 million things going through my head, but I'll try to uh, answer the question first. And one of the biggest challenges that even for myself, I grew up in you know, Middle Eastern Arabic parents, and so you know, Islam was taught to us very ritualistically. Everything's about you know praying, fasting, wearing hijab, the external things, the things, the concrete things that you could see. And if you did those things, those were kind of like your Islam was good. And and learning more and more about Islam and meeting reverts and people that I admire their Islam in terms of their character, I realize, you know, my parents did the best job they could. But what I realize is that as an Arab. I've learned my religion incorrectly because akhlaq, and I think you know, it was mentioned earlier, is that perfecting your character is a healthy spiritual practice. And I think there's not enough emphasis on it, and I, under, I could understand why, because it's not, very, it's not something concrete that you can actually see. You know, I mean, you can see the consequence of it, like if you get angry, but when you're not angry, is that really a, you know, a milestone of a good health, or you know, of the, in terms of a spiritual practice that you've actually um, perfected and in terms of I would just say in terms of healthy you know yes you have to do the bare minimum in terms of rituals but it's it's focusing on perfecting your character and being a better person 
because it's equally, if not more important than the rituals that a lot of cultures put so much emphasis on. And, you know, it's, it's a challenge because, you know, when I came to Houston, you know, alhamdulillah, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens doors for you and I'm working with the Nessus organization, um, Bibi Khan's in the back there. And I remember the first time, you know, I can, alhamdulillah, I think I'm a decent therapist and I can counsel people. But then she's like, oh, I got a, a new client for you. And I'm like, okay, goo. And it was an imam. Mm -hmm. And I was actually intimidated and I was like, there's no way I can help this person. They know, it. like, you know, in my mind, I'm like, they're, they're a role model for me. Mm -hmm. And then subhanAllah, you sit with them and I'm like, oh, okay. I, things became very crystal clear of, despite, mashallah, the knowledge and the insights and them being a role model for their community, there was a lot of critical things that they needed to work on for their own Islam and knowledge to actually, uh, for them to walk the talk and to, you know, our role model, subhanAllah, is the Rasulullah you know? And for us to have the patience, the kindness, it was regardless of how much fiqh and yeah, you know, Salah and Quran you have memorized, it's not going to manifest in terms of your akhlaq. It's not going to manifest in terms of your sense of humility. You know, and so I was going to, you know, say the word humility. Let's all work on our humility, but what does that really mean? You know, and, and you see that translated in terms of when someone approaches you and they're upset, being, you know, really listening to them and leaning in and, and realizing, yes, I could, there's something that I can actually help this person with and or I could learn from them. And that's, you know, and, and it's a double-edged sword because the more knowledge you have, sometimes, you know, the qibr, the, the, which is the pride or the arrogance of like, oh, I know more than them, is there. And it's really just maintaining that sense of openness of there's something for me to actually learn. Regard, and it's it, even more challenging the more you learn to really maintain that sense of openness, especially as you work in the community and people are constantly coming at you, complaining about things, you know, really, maintain that sense of humility and openness of like, okay, there's something here to learn or how can I help them serve them? And so, I mean, I hope that it answered your question. You know, one, one of the things that I see is um, when people, these, these things, these concepts, these ideals are already in our tradition, right? This is not modernizing Islam or anything. It's already in our tradition, but unfortunately, it's not communicated from the mimbar. Right? It's not communicated in the classes. And so when the person that may not be well settled in their aqidah, may not be well settled in their akhlaq, that's their theology and their character, they pick up a book by Deepak, Deepak Chopra, and like, wow, this is my imam now. And so they're, or Imam Joel Osteen, right? That, that, that becomes their imam. <laughs> Because they're, they're, they're speaking about psychology and these deeper concepts that, 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 that really get you in touch with your feelings and uh, you know, your, your trauma and all of that. And so if it's not being communicated and it's, it's, it's deeply woven into our tradition, people will say, well, Oprah is my, 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 my shit. Nothing wrong with Oprah, nothing wrong with, you know, but again, it's already in our tradition. Well just to add one more point, my personally for me, like this has been a very personal journey, my imam has increased because of the Deepak Chopra's, the Oprah's, the Joel Olsen's, because I'll learn it from them and I'm ashamed to say it that I actually had to hear it from one of these guys that I respect and then say, and then I'm like, oh wait a minute, I call it the back door to Islam because I'm yeah. like, wait a minute, Islam has this, yeah, that's right. you know, pay t you know, focus on the things that you see that are kind in a person, oh, Islam says that. You know, be selfless and serve others, and in serving others, you serve yourself. Wait, 
that's in Islam, you know, happiness is through doing things. SubhanAllah, like so many wisdom and things that, that just resonate and make you feel good from all these gurus that are out there. I'm like, I've learned, wait, this is in Islam. And it's, so it made me closer to my religion, but then also more passionate about wanting to share that knowledge. And, you know, so it's very important for us to, like what I tell everyone, anything that a therapist, if you go to a therapy or you get advice from someone, I guarantee that you will be able to find some type of a, uh, Islamic reference to it, a hadith, an ayah, mm -hmm. you know, um, something that from the seerah that you'll be able to find that validates it. Mm -hmm. And if you can't, then maybe you shouldn't take the advice. Sheikh <laughs> Faraz, um, one could argue that every single problem we have is ultimately, a, first and foremost, a spiritual problem. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, and if so, should, shouldn't spiritual remedies be, be, be sufficient? Um, <clears throat> just on the prior note, I, I had a thought that it's interesting that we're in a time where the dimension of our religion that has preserved a lot of these meanings uh, has been marginalized and, and identified in, a, in our public spaces as something foreign and reprehensible. And then we find ourselves uh, noticing these wisdoms outside the tradition and, and longing for them, uh, whereas they have, they have always been indigenous in our tradition. But the reason why we don't find it when we go to many of our Muslim spaces is because this, this dimension of the tradition has been uh, uh, you know, labeled as, as foreign. So, it's, it's one of the effects, I, I, in my understanding, of that historical uh, uh, in, uh, you know, circumstances of the last two centuries. Um, but uh, on, the, on the question, um, I, I wouldn't agree that every, what was the wording again? That every um, problem is Every spiritual. problem is first and foremost. Yeah, Allah Alam, that's not my understanding. Mm -hmm. Because a person might be right with God, but tested in multiple ways. Mm -hmm. And uh, relative to our subject tonight, you know, emotional states of, of difficulty, anxiety, depression, these are all uh, afflictions. These are, these are things that Allah Ta'ala sends as tests. Uh, musibah is the Arabic term, a test for, a, for the individual. And uh, it doesn't mean that the person is not right with God. Uh, that they have any sort of spiritual deficiency. So, a per, you know, the people tested the most are the prophets on Imus Salaam. And they underwent the mo more difficulties than the rest of creation, and then those closest to them and those closest to them. So, you know, the hadith that many of us have heard that no, no Muslim is afflicted with nasab wala wasab wala ham wala hazan wala gham wala adha hatta shawkatu yushakuha illa kafarallahu ta'ala biha min khatayah o kama qala sallallahu alayhi that no Muslim is afflicted with chronic illness, fatigue, exhaustion, anxiety, depression, stress, harm, abuse, trauma, even to the extent of a thorn that might prick someone except that Allah expiates because of that some of their sins. Mm -hmm. So these are, these are afflictions. And, and so, you know, just like any type of affliction, one uh, first has to recognize that it's not a sign of something wrong in them. Mm -hmm. They should, as Brother Ali so eloquently reminded us and taught us that 
it is a way of knowing the divine. It is a way of recognizing Allah and His majesty and His beauty and His omnipotence and His all of the attributes that we learn in our aqidah and read in the Quran and scripture that we can actually recognize in our personal lives and the lives of those around us, mirroring, as it were, the Quran itself, and that then taking the appropriate means and, and, and seeking, being keen on seeking every means possible to be healthy again. And as we do that, we take the spiritual means of supplication and more prayer and patience and perseverance. But again, it's, not, it's a false dichotomy to say that that negates the material means. Those are also real means or the means of, of uh, therapy, etc. And once we've exhausted all of the means at our disposal, and if we still find ourselves afflicted, then, then we, all we have is Allah. Mm-hmm. But the irony is the entire time all we had was Allah. That's right. Because all of those means are His creation. Yes, sir. And He sends and He withholds, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in every circumstance, we have an opportunity to know Him in a new way. He is badi'u samawati wal ard. He is the uh, creative creator of the heavens and earth. So each of us in our unique circumstances and lives will know Allah in a unique way that no other person will know Allah through. And that's of His majesty and beauty. And ultimately, what reigns supreme is His praise. Uh, his praise always reigns supreme. But uh, again, that experiencing pain does not negate any of our spiritual mm-hmm. ideals and the teachings of our tradition. Uh, Imam al-Qushayri, rahimahullah, one of the great spiritual masters of our tradition, his Sheikh Abu Ali al-Daqaq said, لَيْسَ مِنَ الرِّضَىٰ أَنْ لَا تَحُسُّ بِالْبَلَاءِ Rida, uh, uh, being content with Allah, does not mean you don't feel the pain of tribulation. Mm-hmm. But rather, Rida, spiritual contentment with the divine, means that you do not object, you do not oppose mm-hmm. what Allah has ordained mm-hmm. and decreed for our lives. And Allah knows best. So um, I want to ask uh, one last question to uh, Ali, and then we'll open up for a few questions from the audience. Um, along with uh, Ali, along with kind of summing up, but I think we all, the question is, I think we all spiritually bypass uh, from time to time, even those of us who are totally aware of what it is and what we're doing. Um, what are your thoughts on this? And feel free to tell us, uh, lower the water line a bit and tell us when you may uh, spiritually bypass. You don't have to. I do have that. to tell you my <laughs> business. <laughs> oh, tell me all your. I business. know we we're gonna do You're this. You're on the sofa. <laughs> <laughs> um, Subhanallah, Subhanallah. Now I'm benefiting a lot from this, and I, I really appreciate it very much. I think you know, there's, there's a, you know, getting back to kind of what we're saying about that, 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 um, you know, we've, we've been given this very modern idea that somehow our religious spiritual practices or our, our rituals and things like this are to be done. I believe Sheikh Hamza said one time, talked about, you know, religion in the secular world is seen as something that's in, incredibly private. And he said, you know, it's always almost like something you should do in your garage. You know what I mean? Like, like, yeah, he's building something in the garage and it doesn't really matter. That's how he gets, you know, that's what he does when he goes in the garage. What's he building in there? You know what I mean? And that's how your religion should be understood in a secular world. And 
you know, it's, it, 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 it's hard for me not to see the connection between uh, colonialism and empire, which essentially says we are going to grab a hold to the material world and master the material world to the end of dominating other people by using its technology to be able to carry out our will more easily so that we can impose our will on other people. And the fact that our ancestors in this religion and in this tradition were, uh, saw themselves to a degree uh, as being defeated by that worldview. And that all of our spirituality, all of our practices and rituals didn't save us from that. You know, and, and so many religious communities have had this experience where they're not able to draw the connection between the affliction that, that we're experiencing and that being something that God is actually giving us as a gift, uh, you know, to purify us and to right our affair and to remind us that this world isn't, the, isn't, isn't our home, we're travelers here, you know, and, and so many religious communities stumble at that moment. You know, the majority, there was a, a, a survey done recently that revealed that the majority of Jewish Americans see themselves as being culturally Jewish, but not religiously so. Uh, and in speaking with, you know, Jewish leaders, what we find is that it was very, very difficult for the community, not the generation that went through the Holocaust, because they actually were deeply spiritual and religious people, but that the, the generations after them had a very difficult time understanding why did God put us through this if we've been upholding the Sabbath and doing all of these things? Why did God do this to us? And, and they found a difficulty with the, the religious clergy being able to make that real in their lives. And so, you know, the, we, we have this understanding as well in our community that, or this, this kind of reality that we were taken over and dominated by people who whose power ultimately is in the material world. And that, that's the, that is their realm. This, this is their playground. You know, uh, you know we're, we're, we're told that this world is a prison for, spir for, for spiritual people, and that it's the, it's the paradise for the people that don't have that connection. And so we kind of come away with this idea that somehow spirituality doesn't have an impact on the, on the, on the material life or on our, on our real lived experiences. Um, you know, when in reality, and, and, and one of the ways, the things that we come away with maybe is this myth that spiritual people are somehow unconcerned with, with day-to-day -day affairs and that they, they don't care much about being effective in that realm. And the reality is that some of the greatest, and, and, that, and that, you know, spiritual people are somehow more passive. You know, I was just watching, um, you know, Anthony Bourdain went to Senegal, and he said, you know, the Muslims here are tolerant because they're Sufis. And so, you know, almost this casting of, of, of the spiritual Muslims as, these are the tolerant ones, these are the safe ones, these are the ones that might be more open to us, and there is a reality there. Because of the people that are deeply connected to spirituality, they're going to see the good in all people. They're, going to, they're always going to be you know, people that are looking to connect with others. But I think there's a great mistake that we make in accepting the idea that spirituality somehow will take us out of the world. Because real spirituality that, that's, that's alive in people's hearts uh, means that we start to, when we see everything in the world, so, you know, the, the Prophet said to worship Allah as though we see him, and if you don't see him, 
you know, then understand, then we, at least we seek to have an understanding that he sees us. But Imam Ali is reported to have said that I, there's nothing in the world except for I see Allah before it, in it, and after it. And were the veils to be removed, it wouldn't change me. You know, so the people of spirituality approach the world understanding they see everything and everyone in themselves and in the world around them and what's unfolding in the lives of people. Uh, whether they're the, the, the community that we love, whether they're the people that are oppressing us, whether the people that are, you know, the person robbing me in this moment, the person I'm loving, the person I'm, you know, re we start to see everything uh, in the material world as having, being sourced and being brought into existence by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that, you know, uh, that, that, that the unseen is actually governing the seen world. And so our connection to the unseen actually, uh, you know, uh, they, they say that the world will be in our hand, but not in our heart. That my heart will be entirely for Allah. But that doesn't mean that I'm no longer an effective player in the world. Quite to the contrary. These people don't have a weapon that can reach me, not my heart. So they can, you know, the people that are in prison say they can lock my body. They can't trap my mind. You know, and, and they don't have a weapon. They don't have anything that they can do to me that will affect my standing and my relationship with God. In fact, the more they oppress me and the more that they do to me and the more that they impact me, the more I find myself understanding how real Allah is. And so then, you know, if I'm if I'm doing my weird and I say, Hasbun Allahu wakil, you know, Allah is a, Allah is completely aware of everything that's going on with me. And he's, in fact, the one that's taking care of me. That's no longer a ritual. That starts to become, when, when, when I'm repeating that, you know, that's talking about my real, that's talking about the gentrification in my neighborhood. That's talking about my grandmother's dementia. That's talking about my own addiction to the things that are, that are destroying me, that I would love to part with and I'm having difficulty with. And my salat and my fasting and my charity and, and all of these rituals, inshallah, they start to come to life. So that they, they, they start to, to, to feed one another. And we see that those people were some of the greatest warriors. Because, you know, they, 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 they you know, was that, that's what the people said that were walking into the battle of Badr. You know, these weren't people sitting in a, car, in a room together with other Muslims. These were people that were outnumbered, that were going into battle. And the people say, you need to fear them. You're outnumbered. You need to fear these people. They have all this stuff. That doesn't mean that they turned away and ran from the battle. That's what they said going into battle. And it wasn't a joke. Like, they died. They were di Some of them were dying, but they were ultimately victorious. Because it doesn't matter how many people you have. It doesn't matter what weapons you have. It doesn't matter uh, the, you know, what, what your view of us is. You know, that, that actually makes a person be able to have, because only Allah is in the heart, that means that the, that the world being in the hand starts to become the ultimate uh, weapon. And then also, uh, th those people walk into a battle like that or walk into any of the battles of life, the battle of depression, the battle of, you know, uh, battling suicidal thoughts and things like that. They walk into the battle of life with the outcome is up to God. The outcome isn't on me. So there's no way for me to lose this battle. Like, like defeat is not a reality. And, and, and we say, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, it's, it don't speak about the people that have been killed in these battles as being dead. They're not dead. They're alive. You know, and, to, and this isn't spiritual bypassing. 
were you to hook up some, some, some uh, equipment to Malcolm X's body, Rahimahullah, are you going to get a heartbeat? Are you going to get a breath? No, because ultimately Malcolm is not a flesh and blood. Malcolm is a spiritual reality. He's a mountain. So, so Malcolm's body can die, but Malcolm doesn't die. You know, Malcolm's alive in us. You know, and then Allah said, that's in the second chapter. In the third chapter of the Quran, Allah said, you can't even think of them as being dead. There's no death for people like that. So, you know, uh, 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 reconnecting with, with uh, an expression of Islam that is original before people who, didn't, who, who, who had already turned their back on the divine got a hold of us and started, and started dictating to us what really is our religion and what isn't. You know, and they created this term Sufism. You know, Tasawwuf is part of our religion, but Sufism is a term that, 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 that didn't come from the Muslim world. And this idea that it's a science separate and it's a mystical passive form of Islam and so-and-so, so-and-so. What does that say about Salahuddin? You know, one of the greatest warriors in the history of this religion, who, who is the, 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 the student of Sheikh Abdul Qadir al-Jilani, one of the greatest spiritual mountains of this tradition, you know. Um, so you asked me to you asked me to tell some of my business, and I just don't feel like doing it. But okay, uh, okay, <laughs> let's, let's let's go to the um, you know there's so there's so there's so much there. You know this is a space, alhamdulillah, where um, yeah, I mean so I mean this is a space where um, you know we don't we don't we're not scared of the word Sufism, right? Suluk or Teskiyatul Nafs. You know, if you're afraid to say that word, um, this is a space where um, we are not uh, afraid to allow our women to lead us, right? To speak and to teach us. Um, as you as you as you uh, as you are speaking, you know, so many thoughts from our tradition come to mind. This idea of qabd and bust, right? Uh, this idea of. Uh, 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 Ilm al-yaqeen, ayn al-yaqeen, and haq al-yaqeen. These different levels that are uh, in the Qur'an, in our tradition. Um, but for the last, uh, we have about eight minutes. <coughs> I want to open up the floor. Um, anyone have any questions? Shuruk, uh, chief question. So, alaykum salam. Um, the way that I frame this question, I don't want people to think that it's only about my personal situation, speaking on behalf of others as well. Um, and it's more so about spiritual bypassing that could come from parents, actually. So as you go through life, you learn about the dean, and then you realize that sometimes in certain cultures, the guilt that parents can put on you and the way that they raise you, you know, gives you all this guilt, you know. And so um, you got to a certain in your adulthood where you have to accept that these were mistakes, so you want to start forgiving them. Um, but then it's done all this damage through that period of time. And so you grow in your deen, you grow in your spirituality, you accept it from Allah, you say, alhamdulillah, this pain is, what, as you're saying, it's growing my spirituality. But then there's this period of so much anger and resentment that <coughs> you accept that my parents are just human beings. Mm -hmm. And so um, when you get to this point now where you're trying to accept, my question is, what is what are the healthy ways of accepting without showing this anger and resentment? Because naturally, you have so much that's been bottled in. You start doing therapy. You learn to start talking to your parents and addressing these things. But then in the dean, it's like 
mercy upon your parents, lower your you know wings of mercy and be humble. So if I could hear a line from each person, inshallah, about healthy ways of accepting mistakes that have been made and you want to move forward in a healthy way without impinging on their rights, even though they kind of impinged on yours when you were a child. The professional. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We try to do this in a nutshell. Um, first of all, the biggest myth that we're taught is time heals all wounds is not true. So, you, until you address it, you will have you know this time heals all wounds doesn't. Second of all, the only way is through the pain, not around it. But third of all, it's also very and, I, and I'm going to say this because you know there's a lot of good therapists out there and there's a lot of them that do damage. Remembering the past for the sake of remembering the past and kind of blaming where your issues come from is actually very dangerous if you do not use it to inform the present. And informing the present isn't, oh, this is why I'm like this. Informing the present is actually, yes, connecting this is why I'm like this, but what do I, the, the, the critical part is, what do I do with this? How is this going to help me grow? And it's meaning making. And most of us don't look at it as our pain as a way to uh, make meaning from it. So it's hard to look at trauma or something bad that's happened to actually see the wisdom or the hikmah in it. And I feel that sometimes this is where, like, you know, you can get the, the guidance of a, uh, some of a spiritual guidance from, you know, an imam or scholar or someone who's more willing to help you see hikmah in some of that pain. But it's first and foremost is you know, be willing to address it. Second is actually going through it, but then using it to make meaning and connecting the dots that there's hikmah and why you've gone through that. And even as bad as it might have been, you know, was necessary part. And sometimes it's hard to connect the dots looking forward. And you need to give yourself the time to. And when you can actually see the beauty in that, then subhanAllah, then the acceptance of it becomes a lot easier. You know, it's like don't force it, but use it. And a lot of times we want to run from this stuff, but you welcome it. It's there, and it's, you know, and Rumi has a famous line that says, um, the, the light in, enters where the wound is, or the, yeah, the light enters where the wound is. And so it's, it, it's, a, it's actually a gift. And so when we start looking at the bad things that have happened to our lives as a gift, and I know that's hard when you don't really know what the gift is, subhanAllah, that curiosity leads to priceless wisdom and insight that's, that's very healing. Another question. So this brother here and then Nadine. Yes, brother. Assalamu alaikum. Can someone give him a mic? So uh Peter. <coughs> give it to him. He's thank you. And Nadine will be the last question, please. Um, yeah, it's kind of a twofold question, I think. Um, and some of it, I think, I think we all might have experienced, I might have experienced, is that oftentimes situations that we find ourselves in are that we've experienced, you know, some sort of emotional trauma or emotional distress. And we also, at the same time, because it's sort of a new situation, 
you know, when we're doing self-evaluation or it's being pointed out to us by others or parents, whomever it may be. Um, and we realize that there's a deficiency in our spiritual states as well. And it seems like what might happen is that the answer to the problems are conflated. So we seek our, the answer for our emotional um, troubles in the spiritual, and we, we, we try to fix both in that way. Um, and so my question would be, how would we, because if we presume that, yeah, there are emotional states and there are spiritual states, and we can have positive emotional states and, po and negative emotional states, and we can have positive spiritual states and negative spiritual states, how do we sort of delineate the two? Um, and how do we solve, and how do we, you know, figure out which one is the is emotional problem, what thing is the spiritual problem, and then how to address the two different problems? That's my question. Sounds like a question for the sheikh. <laughs> Distinguishing emotional problems from spiritual problems. That is a yeah, that is a great question. <laughs> so they're arguing over who's going to answer the question. <laughs> so, <laughs> Astaghfirullah. Um, yeah. So, uh, again, to come back to this reality that what, what parts would we say are not part of our spirituality? You know, this, 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 this idea that's been robbed from, that, that's, that our original selves have been taken that there's nothing that we're experiencing that isn't from our spirituality and replaced with an idea that the spiritual is, is it's, its own unique category that's to be kept away from, from others. Um, you know, the, the, one of the things we see is that, uh, you know, the, the great ones tell us that when Allah desires good for a person, sometimes he'll allow them to see uh, the faults in themselves. They'll allow them to see the goodness in other people. And they'll actually, uh, he'll allow them to experience the distance in between them and Allah. You know what I mean? Which is the, the impetus or what allows us to turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to seek nearness to him. Because it's impossible for us to feel that way without Allah having already turned to us and without Allah having already given us the gift of that, that desire. You know, so that desire that we have and then Allah actually allows the person in that situation to start to witness themselves come closer and closer so that now their closeness to Allah is something that they've also witnessed Allah unfold in their lives, you know. Um, and in that sense, you know, um, you know, our teachers talk to us also about the, the distinction between stations and states, you know, that. We have, um, you know, our, our station is, is something that has more permanence, whereas our states oftentimes can ebb and flow between having great expansions and great contractions. Pubbed and bust. And so, yeah, pubbed and bust. So sometimes, you know, uh, you know bust, we, we, we tend to have this feeling sometimes that, uh, you know, we're, we're just soaring. And, and you know, we, we, we wake up before Fajr time and we're able to pray and then you know sometimes you know we're, we're reciting the Quran and the waves of meaning are just gushing over our hearts and we're, we're weeping and 
you know, we have these really beautiful things that happen. And, you know, we're just absolutely soaring. And then there are other times when it's, it might be difficult to even do it. It might be difficult to even, you know, present ourselves for prayer. Um, you know, and, and, and what we're told is that both of those states are a part of spirituality. We tend to think of, you know, when we're, when we're open and soaring and, and, and expanding, we tend to think of that as spirituality. Whereas the reality is that the heart breathes in and out just like the lungs do. And so th when the heart is, is expanding and when the heart is contracting, that, um, you know, these are the things that our teachers talk to us about having a certain regimen that we can keep even when we're in, even when we're contracting. You know, they, they really oftentimes will encourage us, you know, especially when we're at the beginning of a path, because the beginnings of things are really like the sky's the limit. You know, get like, you know, we maybe will have a, a spiritual master that we sit with and it's like, I want more. Give me more things to do. Give me more. It's like, just see if you can handle that every day. See if you can do this for 40 days straight without leaving it, you know. Um, and a lot of times what they tell us as well is that those periods of expansion uh, are oftentimes when we're growing. Those are the pains of growth. And then, you know, because... Uh, 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 I'm sorry, in contraction. I'm, I'm not sure if I said contraction. In those periods of expansion, what they tell us is that oftentimes this is the result of some, some, some spiritual growth that we've had, and now we're starting to realize it and recognize it. And, you know, sometimes in that state, we start to get this feeling that we, we're really recognizing our closeness to Allah, and, you know, me and Allah are good, Things aren't that serious. So oftentimes it's in those states that we have bad manners with Allah and we make mistakes and we slip. And then those, those slips will actually bring us into contraction and constriction. And then so in the constriction, then we get, then it becomes serious again. And like, oh, I have to be careful about this and I have to so-and-so. You know, and, uh, and both of those, and so we've learned something new about ourselves, the way that our, our mother and father, Adam and Hawa, learned about the reality of the human condition when they were tricked into eating and then they were removed from the garden. So uh, the people of great spirituality, they actually prefer to be in constriction. They actually prefer to be in that state because they know that it's easier for them to have good manners with Allah. It's easier for them to take things more seriously, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm, I hope that there's some, there's some benefit in that. But a lot of times the things that we're, that we're experiencing the heart, in the heart are just that. They're experiences. And our experiences are written by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, they, were, they were written before Allah created the first thing. Allah is not learning them as they occur to our hearts. This isn't new information to God. It's, it might be new information to me, but it's not new information to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah wrote this course, you know, and all of these difficulties and periods of expansion and contraction, Allah wrote all of them. Uh, and so having that intimacy with God in these different, in these different states um, is extremely important, inshallah. Last question is Nadine, and then we're going to go into Salat al-Maghrib. So, uh, <coughs> Nadine, can you ask your questions? Sure. Go. Okay. No, uh, uh, Salam alaykum. Thank you so much for your insights. My question is, as a parent, um, or as a sister or brother in Islam, trying to help people that are either new to Islam or renewing their Islam, maybe revisiting um, their faith, 
Um, how do we do the chicken and egg of spirituality and ritual? So I've heard about how sometimes we fixate on ritual when we're teaching our kids, uh, and maybe we're not as equipped, maybe in our spaces or as parents, to teach the spirituality. I also heard that spirituality is a very personal journey as well. Um, how do we instill that spirituality? Where do we start? Um, since it is something that is kind of within your heart and it, it is everywhere around us. So, um, spirituality or ritual, ritual or spirituality. My understanding of anything in our religion that we seek is we find the people of that thing. Mm. If we want to understand Islamic law, we find the teachers, the jurists of Islamic law. If we want to understand our theology, we find the theologians that can teach us. If we want to learn how to inculcate our lives and our ritual practices with a deep spirituality, then we find those heirs of the Prophet who have preserved the prophetic spirituality. And so uh, we are blessed and honored as Muslims to have a living tradition that of the tremendous favor of Allah upon this community is that the uh, connection of human beings to human beings back to our beloved messenger is preserved and real and intact. Even if it may not be as manifest due to particular historical circumstances, it's still existent. Mm -hmm. And so we have to simply seek those teachers. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have to learn also what are the objective criteria of real teachers so that we can make the distinction between real teachers and imposters because it's very dangerous, particularly with spirituality, of people who make claims to have a certain authorization and the, yet they lack the authorization. That's one of the most dangerous things yeah. and it's very prevalent in our times and so that has to be emphasized and there are objective criteria that uh, you know one can find. Sidi Ahmad Zarruq has listed important conditions of a true teacher of Islamic spirituality and those are as pertinent and relevant today as they ever were hmm. and Allah knows best and so we should find the people who are connected to that living tradition and then they can teach all of us uh, how to infuse our rituals with spiritual meaning and alone is the best. Um, so we're gonna go ahead and... Oh. Sure, go ahead, uh, Dr. Fitna, she wants to call. So one question that I'm often asked is how do I know if I'm spiritual bypassing? And it's actually a lot easier there's not a magic formula for it. It's actually quite simple. If you're married, look at your relationship. If you're mm -hmm. having problems within your marriage, and you're, you know, you consider yourself, you know, following your the, the Islamic rituals and doing best you can there, uh, chances are there's some spiritual bypassing. There's some psychological <coughs> things you need to work on. If you're not married and you're single, look at your close relationships or your relationship with your families. Anywhere where there's any type of disruption in the relationship, regardless of your spiritual practices there's something you need to work on psychologically. Hmm. And I have yet so to find someone who doesn't have any type of relationship issue. So this is uh, the person that won't miss a prayer, won't miss a Monday and yes. Thursday fast, 
but they're, they, can't, they can't hold down a job or they're having major issues in their marriage and things like yeah, that. They're, yeah, they're exactly that. And <coughs> what often happens too, their spiritual practices are still immature. Mm -hmm. So if anger is a problem, no matter how religious you consider yourself to be, but if you're still getting angry at home and violent or not being saying nice things, chances are, so obviously that's a conflict with Islam because you're supposed to be in you know husn al khuluq. Mm -hmm. So that's also going to manifest. So there's an there's so there it's a false sense of spirituality because now you feel like you've arrived, but mm -hmm. here you are at home, you're being very unkind yet, you know, to the rest of the world. Oh wow, mashallah, this person's amazing. Mm -hmm. But in reality, you're not really upholding your your Islamic obligations, subhanAllah. No, so again, uh, thank you all for coming out. I'm grateful. Thank you to the to the speakers who volunteered uh, their time. Thank you. Um, please follow up. We're actually going to put this uh, on a, on our podcast, um, Ibrahim Center, wherever you find your podcast. Also, uh, this is a field, right? <laughs> uh, you can also continue to follow our work online. Um, again, most importantly, make du'a for us. Um, so many people that I would like to acknowledge, but uh, we, need, we need to go ahead and pray. But certainly grateful that you've come out um, to support us. Um, most importantly, keep us in your du'a. Your very next prayer, please make a quick du'a for us for our success. Um, and we're honored to have our, uh, one of our teachers, uh, Sheikh Mohammed Mendez, and we'd like to have him to lead us in uh, Maghrib Salah, inshallah. Uh, Assalamu alaikum.